extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy Ten Two episode of Normandy FM. Ken, I have one question for you this week. Mm-hmm. Who the heck is Len? Who's Len? <laughs> Who's to say? Who is Len? <laughs> I, I, that's all I come out of this episode with. I need to know who Len is. And, and we have a very special guest joining us today to answer the question. Nina Freeman, how are you? <laughs> oh, that's a big question. I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to give you a satisfying answer. I'm good. How are y'all? Oh, we're, yeah, we're here. We're ready to steal some uniforms and get some revenge. Because uh, <laughs> this is not your normal RPG. This, is, this was the part of Final Fantasy X-2 that really solidified it as we are not doing what your average RPG does because rather than go on some epic quest to slay the dragon or something like that, Tentu is like, what if you just stole a bunch of uniforms to get petty revenge on, <laughs> on a rival crew? Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. This part's so funny. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a memorable part of the game. Yeah. So Nina, what got you into well well first tell us a little bit about yourself for for the folks at home uh tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into final fantasy and final fantasy 10 sure um so i am a game developer um and i also do streaming um i think probably my most well known the games i'm most well known for are probably like sybil how do you do it um, we just released last year a game called Last Call. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I work on games um, kind of in like a band format where I'm always working with different kinds of teams. And mm. I always, I, I often am like sort of a, a designer or a writer on all these games. And many of them are based on my personal life. Um, so like Last Call, the one we just did last year is about an experience I had with domestic violence. So a mm. darker subject matter, but I'm also really into doing comedy in games, which is relevant to Ten Two, which yeah. is a very comedic <laughs> game. Um, so yeah, I, I have sort of like a narrative game background and I also stream on Twitch um, to help support myself because I'm an indie self-employed uh, game dev and I, I freelance and work on my own stuff and things like mm-hmm. that. So that's my background. And then as far as Final Fantasy X and X-2 goes, they were really like, they are two my two favorite games ever. Um, I first played them when I rented them from West Coast Video as a tween. I think I must have been 12 or something. I was super young. Um, and I didn't get to own many games back then because, like, you know, they're expensive, but mm. I would rent them. And I rented 10 and just fell in love with it and, like, kept renting it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until I finished it. Or I think maybe my mom bought it for me at some point. But, yeah, it was, like, it really was a game that had a big impact on me as a kid. And then my friends and I have these two friends. They're twins and the three of us. Um, all girls, we were, like, really into it together. We loved the romance and the adventure and, like, mm-hmm. You know, Yuna was a character we all really looked up to. I always saw myself in Riku, and it was just a pair of games that, like, felt made for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is, like, me in the game. Um, so, yeah, that was a really powerful experience for me as a kid, and tend to really solidified that. And it, it felt like a game about me and my two friends, um, right. three girls. Mm-hmm. We really related to the Gull Wings in, like, wow, this is actually just like us and like our little comedic dynamic as a friend group. Um, so yeah, uh, these games are near and dear to my heart and I, I still love them even for beyond 
reasons of nostalgia. Like I think they're also really interesting games from a design standpoint. So yeah, that's a, uh, I guess my, my background. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I like that's, been a, that's been a through line for like almost everyone that's come on. That's like, I rented 10 or 10 to when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I guess it was like, it, <laughs> like that's, I guess it just came out at that perfect point for like go to Blockbuster or something. Uh, Cause like that was my experience too. Like I called the renting store at, or my local one here multiple times when Tid 2 came out and by the time that it was uh like back like whoever had it before returned it they were like yeah we held it because we knew you would be calling oh <laughs> yep yep local mom and pop video store here uh 10 i rented a bunch of times before we ever even got a ps2 uh memory card <laughs> that was a whole oh problem. my gosh and, <laughs> that uh, is a problem yeah <laughs> for such yeah. a long game <laughs> I, look i know the beginning of that game very well now <laughs> oh yeah and it's very good and very yeah. memorable <laughs> and and tend to i you know i i've told the story before that i did not know how this game really functioned when i was younger so uh i just remember blasting through a bunch of it in a weekend and being like wow this game's really short because i was not stopping to do any of the uh the side quests or anything yeah uh and then hitting a wall being super under leveled and then just like never going back to it so now i'm actually getting to play through it for real uh for the first time and this is it's very exciting it's yeah i I like what you mentioned that's not just nostalgia because i think it's super easy to kind of look at older games and be like oh you know you've got rose colored glasses for them but Playing through these again for Normandy FM uh, is really solidifying how interesting they are as RPGs, as like entries in the Final Fantasy lineup, because uh, mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of really cool stuff, especially Ten Two. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a non-linear Final Fantasy game. Like mm-hmm. what? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's got like oh, pieces it's, it's of good. open world stuff in there where you can kind of find things on the side if you go looking for them and all that uh it's got a completion percentage oh it's cool do you have a favorite dress sphere nina uh okay that's a really good question um actually dress spheres in general i think are a final fantasy design scheme that they should really use <laughs> in another <laughs> game finally because it's so genius mm-hmm. um but yeah i uh i think it probably would have been different when I was younger, but as an older person who who's replayed it a bunch of times, I think Lady Luck is my favorite. Yes. Because it's so weird. It's so different. It's actually, a, a, this, I have a similar reasoning for my favorite summon being the Magus Sisters. They're like both <laughs> elements of the game that really kind of not break the game necessarily, but add a an angle to the game and to the systems that like, honestly doesn't really make much sense but that makes it that much better because it's pure chaos (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean lady luck is like all based on randomness actually it kind of reminds me of like chaos knight from dota which is funny another like a hero that integrates randomness um (laughs) and yeah it's like it is a thing that other games have done it's not like lady luck is like a truly original idea but it's like one that you don't often see represented in a game with this kind of structure like jerry like final fantasy JRPGs often have all like a lot of the same classes like they don't experiment with them too much although I guess with like 14 and stuff that has obviously changed but mm-hmm. this is like a very dramatic experimental dress sphere I think so I, I like that about it 
I love this. I've tricked Ken into bringing another Dota player onto the podcast. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so I love I, Dota. <laughs> I tricked Ken into playing a MOBA because I taught him about Pokemon Unite, and now Ken is a oh, full-on MOBA sicko. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, our yeah, last... I love Dota. I love Final Fantasy X, too. They both have great costumes, etc. <laughs> they do. They do. Oh. It's all fashion. <laughs> it, it, the best games are truly about fashion at the core of it. Speaking oh, yeah. as a now Final Fantasy XIV sicko. Yeah, uh, same, same, same. They should really use dress spheres in that game. Anyway. <laughs> they should. Oh, garment grids would be so good. You could do a whole I thing know. about it. Mm, but by the way, speaking of fashion, I also think the Lady Luck dress spheres and just how the transformation sequence for them is just so unapologetically sexy is like mm-hmm. also really mm-hmm. fun. Um, which we can talk more about it later, but I have all these feelings about how like their sexiness is portrayed in Ten Two, and I mm. feel like Lady Luck is like on the extreme end of it, mm-hmm. and like I love how they they show it, and I think those outfits are like so cool looking. <laughs> so yeah. Before we get into it, there is one last question we must ask every guest that comes on Normandy FM for our Final Fantasy Ten and Ten Two season. How do you pronounce the name of the protagonist of Final Fantasy Ten? Titus. God but damn it. I, but that's a big but. I do know that the developers say Titus. So I do acknowledge both, but I can't like I can't not say Titus because I have mm-hmm. since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't I think they said in a video once that they were like, oh, it's fine. I think maybe in an ad in America, it was pronounced Titus. And I think that's maybe where we all got it from. But when you listen to the like actual developers, they do say Titus. I've been saying it. You look at it phonetically. <laughs> it it works that way in the English language. More points. More <laughs> points for me, Ken. <laughs> Back on the Celsius, where we return to for our episode this week. We are hanging out. We're celebrating. We finished chapter one. We've stolen the awesome sphere. It's great. Everything's coming up great. Uh Payne points out that we've kind of made a name for ourselves, but we don't care. It's all good. Uh, Shinra takes a look at the sphere and is like, hey, let's let's watch this. And we see someone who looks suspiciously like Titus, wearing a similar but not quite so similar outfit, looking a little different at some kind of machina. He's, he's hanging out and he's looking around. He's going to save someone named Len and alarms start going off and it ends. And everyone watching is like, hmm, that's weird. That was strange. Riku seems pretty convinced that was Titus. Uh, But Yuna is a little confused because it looks kind of like him, but not quite like him. And also, who the heck is Len? Who's Len? Titus. Uh, They decide to uh, figure out what they're going to do with the Awesome Sphere. uh, Because it certainly seems like it's going to be something that's a little bit more than what they they gambled on uh so while they all decide to do that the group says let's unwind let's hang out brother starts doing the world's weirdest dance (laughs) i love i love every single brother animation they're all genius (laughs) he's so so over the top uh, the yeah, whole part and- where they're like, let's do a concert, let's dance, and they're all just dancing on the bridge and stuff, and Yuna's like, okay, fine, whatever. It's it's very it's a very good switch around. It's very good lighthearted. It also does a lot like I mean, the game broadly is you know, it's 
not all of the animations are as fluid as something like Modern Day, but with Brothers specifically, like they, the, the guy seems to just have all these really original animations. Like they're trying to make his like presence on the screen distinct at all times. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's very wiggly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so then we have this excellent segment where you have to go find the musicians who the the musicians from the woods apparently just hitchhiked with brother at some point uh they're just on the ship and we talk to them and they're like yeah sure uh you know we'll hang out we'll earn our place by uh by playing for you by being your backing band and then the game's like cool push him into the elevator now (laughs) and let no mechanic go unused yeah (laughs) finally like Back in Final Fantasy X, we had to push around little sphere altars and stuff. And here it's like, hey, just push the musicians into the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very goofy section of the game, and I really, really like that. Uh, It is. This this most felt like they took the ideas of, you know, here's the framework of Final Fantasy X. Here are the things that Final Fantasy X could do. And here's how we're going to create something new and interesting with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, something mm-hmm. that just does not feel like the last game. I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode that we recorded, but 10 was a game that had sin looming, looming over it the whole time. You know, everyone was constantly worried about their town getting destroyed and everyone dying all the time. And here there's just the complete, absence of any of that sort of concern in fact people are just kind of doing things that they want to do because it's freeing Mm. because they can uh there's like a a real sense of liberation among people that they're not having to be concerned about whether they're going to make it to the next day or not like sin is gone so they're going to do whatever they want to do and it that really feels captured by this whole segment of getting everyone together we're just going to throw a concert on top of the airship because why not (laughs) let's just have a good time while we can let's celebrate i think Uh, also though with like to just sort of add mm -hmm. on to what you were saying they don't have like something of the gravity of sin looming over them but what i think is so brilliant about 10 is that like all of the conflicts or at least at this point in the game are brought sort of to a more human level Mm -hmm. where the thing Mm -hmm. looming Mm -hmm. over them now is like who do we give this awesome sphere to? Because it's going to make a massive political statement mm-hmm. coming from Yuna, who is unavoidably still associated with such drastic world events that like mm-hmm. any choice she makes is going to be under massive scrutiny. So like there is still something looming, but it's like something that's so much more like real, even though mm-hmm. arguably the looming of sin is also real. It's just like this is a more like daily life kind of realness of like political choices and alignments. Um, and I always thought that that was really interesting about 10 too, that they like sort of present them as like, you know, they're just on their silly adventure. They're doing whatever they want, but like, are they really <laughs> like, they're still like political entities in this world and they're definitely aware of it. And I think as much as they joke through these cutscenes, like Yuna knows there's like certain animations where you can kind of see, she is taking it seriously, but she's also trying to like stay chill because that's been an important part of like growing after the whole experience of fighting sin. Like she needs to just exist for herself a little bit, but right. I, she knows she she feels she can't fully. So I, I think that that is sort of the like underlying tension behind all of these like silly scenes mm. that I think is like a really interesting tension. 
Yeah, and I think it even shows like what her and what her priorities are after she saw that sphere, where there's this monstrous machina, and she's more concerned about the person that looks like she's just talking about somebody named Lynn. Like that she's yeah <laughs> so like willing to just like take a moment to herself and be like yeah there's probably like larger ramifications to everything we just saw but also like this very particular thing is stuck in my craw and I can mm-hmm. shout or shout off to the side of the ship about it mm-hmm. and yeah. be embarrassed about it after. I know it wasn't like described yet in your summary, but can, can we talk about that for yeah. a second? Or we yeah, yeah let's, let's yeah. We, we go up. We go up to the top of the airship. They hold a concert on the top of the airship, which is just fantastic with the lights and everything. And they even do the nice touch of Yuna in the songstress dress sphere. And then later on, as as Yuna's kind of off to the side, thinking to herself about you know the day's events and what's been going on. Riku is in her songstress dress sphere and leading the band, which is. I think fun and interesting. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. But that seems so cute. Uh, the whole time she's over there, she's kind of thinking, you know, like, what's going on? You know, why am I? Who's Len? Why am I so mad about this? I'm. Who the heck is Len? <laughs> and, <laughs> is Titus cheating on me? Yeah. She screams internally. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I think this part's brilliant, also because like. Like I was saying before, there is all the political stuff going on, but like no matter how much any person is worrying about larger world issues, there's always going to be some kind of like person to person drama going on with them mm-hmm. as well. Like, you know, it's so relatable to be worried that like this guy is see is he into someone else? That's an experience I think everyone has had at some point mm-hmm. where you have a feeling of jealousy. Like it's a very I think humanizing moment for her mm-hmm. and a very honest one that I think is actually like a super interesting representation of a like girl character in a game. Like she doesn't always have to be the fucking hero or whatever. Like she actually is also worried about really basic stuff that like mm-hmm. I might worry about or my friends might worry about. Um, Cause like, yeah, I mean, people have different levels of self-esteem and it's like scary to think that the person you're into might be into someone else. It's like a basic human experience. So I really liked that they added that in because it is something that I would expect her to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we we talked about this in the 10th season that Yuna spends so much of that game just like sad in a way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of resigned herself to her fate and has not allowed herself to have a life beyond it because of that. You know, she kind of already views herself as a sacrifice in 10 uh-huh. and... Uh, doesn't give herself the room to have feelings like that outside of Titus. And obviously Titus comes in and kind of throws a wrench into the whole thing. And Suteki Dane scene. (laughs) (laughs) Like the one time she considers thinking about, you know, having normal life experiences with Mm -hmm. someone who could be her boyfriend in like a typical way. At a lake. (laughs) It's always a lake. Um, (laughs) And and in 10-2, like it's a, completely different you know that we get to see and and again you know part of that is you know sin is gone you know as as just an existential threat or corporeal threat to uh, to all of the things that are happening in spira but also sin is gone and so her role as being the sacrifice for this community for this civilization is gone and she isn't beholden to that anymore and so she has the space to kind of do this stuff and it is also, you know, the whole quest of Ten Two is what happened to Titus. I'm sure, like the player at home is thinking, "Oh, what did happen to Titus? Can we get Titus back?" And Yuna's like, "Yeah, Titus is gone. We can bring him back. We can save him from the void." And 
but is he seeing somebody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's so... Oh, it is. It is a great scene. It is an absolutely fantastic scene. Uh, and then yeah. everyone just staring at her like, who is Len? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I also love that it's like it has a it's so it's a nuanced way of looking at how Yuna would be experiencing romance because it's not like her and Titus's relationship is as simple as they were lovers and mm. everything was perfect like there was so much trauma involved and all mm. the stuff mm. that like you know of course her anxiety brain would be jumping to the worst conclusions I mean don't we all do that at some point mm. and like I just appreciate that they show that kind of like messy side of thinking about relationships right. that's not like like a beautiful love story it's like no she has doubts of mm-hmm. course she would like she's experienced some of the worst shit um so i think like i, I love that that layer to it as well it's a good amount of nuance i think mm-hmm. so then we cut to a cg cutscene of yuna and titus in their old clothes so yuna's back in the summoner's guard uh titus is wearing the clothes that we know well for Final Fantasy X and not the weird stuff that we see this mystery character wearing in all these <laughs> sphere scenes. And they're being chased by the soldiers of Bevel. Uh, Speaking of trauma. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Like having a stress <laughs> dream, very relatable. <laughs> Just going to go have a stress nap real quick. Uh, they they get to the machina that we saw in the sphere and suddenly the spotlight opens up on them. They're trapped. They kind of exchange a look, you know, before they open fire and it's very Romeo and Juliet, you know, Mm. it's, it's the lovers perishing together and it's very sad. And then, Yuna wakes up and we realize it was all a dream. And, uh, she's just freaked out a little bit. And then Riku (laughs) delivers one of my favorite lines. Uh, (laughs) she says, blame it on your new jammies. And it pans down and Yuna (laughs) has fallen asleep in her songstress dress sphere. (laughs) Super Uh, relatable. (laughs) It it was like that moment. I appreciate a lot because I, I think this game, you know, it has dress spheres as a game mechanic and the idea of clothing as a game mechanic is already really novel, but then it still recognizes that these are glamours in some way. These are clothes Mm -hmm. that the characters wear and just, seeing that moment of like oh no she really did go back down and she was so mad she was so fuming over this lens stuff that she didn't even change out of her songstress dress sphere uh into whatever she would normally sleep in like she (laughs) angrily slept in her concert clothes is (laughs) so good it's such Mm -hmm. a good little touch uh i i I don't know ken how do you feel about this weird fever dream we've just had uh it, it is an interesting thing that like even now that you're saying it i'm like Man, I wish we'd kind of because I mean they, they're acknowledging here that like the songstress or the altar dressers are contained like memories of something, and mm-hmm. they don't really do a whole lot of exploration of that beyond songstress. I mean there are like theories out there, but it's honestly like now that I'm thinking about it, that's something I wish the game had maybe taken some more time to talk about in terms of like giving us not you don't have to you know make it relative to the main plot like the songstress one's gonna be but, like giving us like a little bit of lore as to like what each of these were initially because i mean some of them are as simple as like the uh the black mage sphere was video of somebody from xanarkin like uh just before or just after meeting like an idol or a singer of some kind and that doesn't really play into the dress sphere that we use and that just kind of seems like an underexplored thing that 
like now that I'm thinking on it, it would have been really cool to see them expand upon. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think, didn't they only have, they made this game in like something ridiculous, like a year, right? Yeah, it this was, was like a really quick dev cycle. Yeah. yeah, I I too, though, wish that they had more of a the ability to have a bigger scope because I think that exploring the dress sphere system in that way would have been super neat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also wonder, like, I would be interesting to look at the dress sphere, like, costume designs and think about how they might relate to previous Final Fantasies. Like, I always mm-hmm. thought the White Mage one kind of reminded me of Garnet from yeah. um, Nine. So, I like, I know there's nothing confirmed about that right. stuff, but I did always wonder if, like, maybe they're callbacks to previous Final Fantasies because, you know, that the franchise is certainly known to do that. Um, mm. And that would be, like, kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the different designs in, in all their ways definitely have shades where at times I've been like, oh, this looks kind of Final Fantasy-ish, like old Final Fantasy-ish, and I've wanted to like go yeah. back. Maybe there's a post out there somewhere that someone's done. Maybe. <laughs> if not, we're going to make it. <laughs> uh, so we, we change back and head on down, um, head on down to the engine room too, because that is something important to do that randomly there are just new items down there in the engine room all the time. Uh, I love it. And then we head up to the deck, and we we got to decide who we're going to give the awesome sphere to. And we have some lively debate. You know, they they point out that giving the sphere back would be... I mean, essentially, you are giving the sphere back to either group, right? We have New Yevon mm-hmm. and the Youth League. And New Yevon had it, and then it got stolen by the Youth League, specifically Donna. And then we stole it from Donna. <laughs> uh <laughs> So either way, we are giving it back to somebody, and, but it really does bring up the idea of, as, as Riku points out, new Yevin might be new, but it's still got Yevin in its name. Mm-hmm. And Payne mm-hmm. points out the Youth League is not Yevin, but they're out here kind of antagonizing. They're picking fights. You know, they're, they're a little radical, as, mm-hmm. as Payne points out. And we got to make a decision. Uh and I, I personally, you know, obviously for the podcast, we are playing for completion percentage, not 100%, but we are trying to get the higher completion ending of this game. And so we chose the one that is, quote unquote, completion canon or whatever. But I do think that there's not really a reason, you know, would ever actually want to give this sphere to Yevin. Right. <laughs> After everything that happened in 10, uh, I was sitting there and I was like, even if I was making this choice based on just how I wanted to do this, I really do feel like this is one where we got to take it to the youth league because as you know, even when you go to the hotspot mission to, to pick it out, uh, it'll say, uh, they may be new, but they're still just the same old Yemen or something like that. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you, you can't just go giving it to them. Come on. We we saw what was up. We're not bringing this to Bavel. So uh, yeah. I, I we both chose that. Nina, I'm interested. Have you ever gone down the, the Yevon road or do you stick to Youth League? If I'm playing, like, for my own preferences, I've always picked Youth League, but I have, like, looked at the Bavel route. Um, and they're, like, it's funny because they're basically, the dialogue is almost the same, right. but it's, mm-hmm. like, they're each trying to accuse each other of wrongdoing, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think, as obvious, or, like, you know, I think to most people, obviously, based on the events of 10, like you said, you wouldn't want to go with Yevin. But I do, like, really respect their efforts to, like, 
make the choice kind of difficult because like the youth league they're cool and radical and like on the surface you want I think like any of us probably here in this podcast would like be super down with that um (laughs) but they're also like not perfect as an organization they're still kind of like militaristic they basically Mm -hmm. have their own private military um even though like some of the leaders in that military are like literally your friends which is also like a funny dynamic um and the youth league is also like not super open with you and there's this i think tension for you know where siding with the youth league is maybe could be considered in some ways a less comfortable option because it puts her in the place of helping shape the future for mm-hmm. her society because mm-hmm. that you know it seems like they're trying to like make something new out of their world right they're very right. progressive i guess arguably um whereas yevin would be sort of new yevin would be sort of a return to traditional values to right. comfort in some ways and she grew up um in that religion so i i do think there's like there is pros and cons to both if you try and think about it from her perspective. But yeah, I would always just go with the youth league because I just, you know, they're cooler. They're like trying to shake things up. I'm down with that. Although I'm also like the military aspect of it always is like, ooh, is this really like good? Isn't it just kind of like rehashing some of the mistakes they've already made potentially? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, as the game progresses, there's more nuance added to that that youth league narrative. So yeah. You'll see where that goes. It's very interesting, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I kind of, like, it was an, I had a knee-jerk reaction to be, like, annoyed by the centrism of it, of, like, them being like, oh, they're both sides are just as bad as the other. And I was like, are they really? Like, is it, is it really, like, I don't know, because, like, it's, you know, again, like, the knee-jerk reactions to, like, try and ascribe, like, like we as Americans would consider centrist yeah. politics, which is, like, you know, the Republican versus Democrat. And that comparison lines up in a lot of ways, but it's not necessarily... Every way that is, you know, that makes that conversation heated uh, in real in the real world, but <laughs> right, because like I mean, even New Yemen is not like they're not bringing in a lot of the uh, prejudice, I guess, that came from old Yemen. Like, there's not really any talk in this game about like Albert prejudice still being a problem, at least, yeah, not in any like overt way in the, the way that it was discussed in Ten One. So yeah, like it, like you, like you said, there's, there's a lot of nuance to it that I think it's better illustrated as the game goes on. But like my I, I, I did have that, like, ugh, ick reaction when everyone was just kind of like, oh, they're the same. It, like, we're just kind of picking between the better of two evils. And I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Progressive versus mm-hmm. conservative. Like, obviously, right. progressive is going to be cooler. But I do I do like that they depict the progressive side as having their own issues. Like, right. I think that's important mm-hmm. to not just have it be, like, good guys versus bad guys. Um, For sure. And I, I think they do a pretty good job at that. Um, and also, it's funny because I feel like as far as... Because also... Doesn't it partially seem like you're kind of picking between Nuge and Barely? <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit. Yeah, like as whatever cute boys, you know. <laughs> um, and I feel like obviously Nuge is cooler. Although as a teen, I was like Barely's kind of cute though. Yeah, like, so take it to Gipple instead. <laughs> or yeah, or just let's go with Gipple oh, exactly. Um, I I do wonder how much of like the design of this mm. choice is like. I wonder how much they were thinking about that. Because, like, as a teen, I feel like, or tween, I was so little, uh, I wasn't as tuned into, like, the political aspects of this game. That's something I learned about as I was older. So I remember thinking more, like, who am I more curious about, Nuge or Barely? And that was, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) definitely a part of my decision. And Nuge is just, like, cool. So, you know, like, I don't know. It's funny how at different points in your life you see these things very differently as well. I think, like, even... Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I was just gonna say I think you know how much of the 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 centrist like you know positioning of this the like both sides have good and bad is also just about that this game is trying to do a thing where you are actually going to make a choice that affects things that happen in the game and granted this isn't like some major you know shift that you would see in say like I don't know like a Skyrim or something like that or a Fallout where it's like oh we have picked one faction and that is going to win the war and stuff like that no you're Mm -hmm. you're picking one and it's going to change how certain scenes play out across the different chapters and and who you are kind of spending time with and who are you fighting against but uh that's also extremely novel and interesting for a Final Fantasy game, especially one made mm-hmm. in such a short amount of time on, on the bones yeah. of another video game. So it is, I, you have to look at it and also be like, how much of this is just because they wanted to create a choice and then be like, well, we need to have theoretical reasons for why a player would pick either one because we can't just put it up as, as being like, well, do you want to give it to the radical new group that doesn't want to be the church? Or do you want to give it to the church yeah. that wanted to <laughs> sacrifice unit to keep sin alive? <laughs> like, yeah, because even without all like the like really bad leaders from 10, like they're still going to suck. It's that when you go mm-hmm. into Bavel, if you choose that sphere, it's like the same priests and shit. Like right. it's... It, it it really is the same in so many ways. So I I would love to see like percentages of what people picked. I think probably most people would just go with New Yevin, but mm. yeah, because they really Vavel is still Vavel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even if Bear Lies got that like youth pastor energy, if like we're not mm. your father's church and all that. Yeah, yeah, and it's honestly, especially playing as an adult, I'm like, ooh, yikes! Yeah. Like also with the arranged marriage stuff again, I'm like, ooh, yeah, we're gonna go there again, huh? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think like. By the time that the game's over, it has ultimately picked a side, both because, like, I mean, it, even baked into the systems of, like, the one that gives you more completion percentage, and but also, oh, yeah. like, the story that happens, like, as the game goes on, kind of, like, swings hard in one direction. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah, and, and as we play for completion percentage, you know, we're, we're kind of locked into what we choose, and it is interesting that I think that there is, you know, a 100% Almost, this is what Yuna would have done. Can you play right. like Yuna would have played? <laughs> it's, uh, but it is it is interesting that they give us the choice and, and that little bit of flavor because uh, we head out. We head to Mushroom Rock Road to present the awesome sphere to the people who we took it from in the first place. <laughs> um, and Nuge shows up. And Nuge kind of gives us some attitude in this section mm. of the game a little bit you know it's uh first when we meet and then when we head inside and uh he's watching the sphere and he's like did you did you see what was on the sphere did you watch it and we're like yeah of course we did we're sphere hunters it's kind of the point dude <laughs> and he's like okay well forget it don't see anything you know you didn't see anything and you know like stands up for herself of it is like we're not going to forget mm. what we saw. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, like we know guy, what we saw. You're talking to the fucking high summer. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't owe you shit. Who do you think you're talking to? Yeah. I I really like that moment where, you know, was like, no, we're not going to, like, mm. doesn't even, like, pretend to, like, go along with it or anything. Just straight up says, no. <laughs> what are you <laughs> talking about? Um, and uh, he's like, okay, fine. Well, I will tell you about what was on the sphere then. It's this thing called Vegna Gun, uh, which is a great name, by the way. <laughs> um, 
and he's like, it's super powerful Machina. It must not be touched. But, you know, New Yevans out here, they're trying to get it. They want it. And uh, we can't let them have it. So we're going to get it. And that's, you know, maybe planting the seed of, oh, oh, so you also want it. Then even whatever you're saying about keeping it away from New Yevon, you would also like the super powerful. It, it's called gun. It's got gun in the name. You, you want the super gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's like what I was sort of alluding to before, where it's like there is a concern that New Yevon and the like, or sorry the youth league with their like military presence are also mm-hmm. maybe trying to do something a little bit bad, which is mm-hmm. stressful, right? Cause you want, you want to trust the like cool progressive group, but the game is like throwing all these curveballs at you. It's like, ah, <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good conflict. I was also, I was playing this part uh, and I just recently wrapped up some stuff in final fantasy 14. That was all about, oh, they want the Omega weapon and all that stuff. And it was a weird overlap where I kept getting confused. I was like, why are you calling it Vegna gun? It's the Omega weapon. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy does love its plot beats. Uh-huh. But uh, um, Yuna asks whether Nuge knows who the man in the sphere was, but he's got no clue, he says. Uh, can we really trust Nuge, though? Uh, and then Buddy calls in and says we've got a distress call from the ship we gotta we gotta head back uh and we show back up and our ship has been burgled they they stormed the ship the broken sphere from xanarkand is missing and leblanc and her goons showed up and and just messed the place up and and put everything askew they they walked into our ship and took stuff can't believe they did that poopy <laughs> oh poopy oh. <laughs> poopy i'm just what another like you. <laughs> timeless line there, there are so many like little sound bites in this game that have lived in my head for 20 years oh, yeah. and that's one it. of them so oh. funny they, they're just like they let the girls talk like normal young mm-hmm. people <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't go around saying poopy but like maybe i would i don't know when i was fucking 14 i probably did oh like, i fucking said that shit all the time yeah. when I was yeah. like on a planet in like fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And I always, I get so annoyed when people see parts like that and they're like, oh, that's so cringy. I'm like, you talk like that as a teen. Shut mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... And like, they're not that old. They are older than they were in 10, but like in your late teens, early twenties, you still yeah. talk in a little bit of a silly young person way. You just yeah. do. You can't deny it. Mm-hmm. And I love that they let that be a thing in this game. I think it's really good writing. Yeah. I almost feel like in our current state of, you know, brain poison, zoomerism, humor stuff that tend to <laughs> shines a little bit more for that yeah. because yeah. Like this would be the the time and the generation for people to view this like and unironically enjoy it and be like, yeah, yeah no, this is super relatable. Like the poopy is a good line, but my favorite part is when I, Pain, I think, tries to scold Yuna. It's like, Yuna, don't talk like that. Uh, no, it was Riku. Because yeah, Yuna comes back and is like, I'm just copying you. It's very yeah. much that line. Like, <laughs> I learned this from you, dad. And all that. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Um, it is so good. Yeah, there's so many little good parts in this game. Uh-huh. It, part of the advantage we were talking about 
this last week or last episode. Sorry, Ken, I did it again. I thought I was going to get through the whole episode without saying last week. Like um, you're saying last week on an episode that people won't hear until March. So. Yeah, last week on an episode that people won't hear until March, but we did record the prior episode yesterday because time means nothing anymore. <laughs> uh we talked about it last episode, but the fact that this party is established from the get-go, and also with two characters that we're already familiar with in, in Yuna and Riku, that it lets them get past the normal, you know, everybody in the party getting to know each other phase that you usually mm-hmm. usually have. I keep thinking of Tales of Arise as, as we play this, because Tales of Arise was an RPG I really, really liked from last year, but you spend probably the first third to two thirds of that game of everyone just kind of getting to know each other because you're kind of adding party members as the game goes along and you're all learning to get along with each other and who each person really is and what their quirks are here. Most of that is established from the get go. We're really, we only have three party members to begin with and they're all here from the start of the game and we get so much time for them to just hang out and be themselves around each other. And it shines in moments like this. Uh, mm. So yes, this is me stumping for oh poopy as a genuinely <laughs> great moment of party development. Well, like I was saying earlier when I was playing this as like a 14-year-old, like I really, me and my two friends, these two mm. other girls, we talked like that to each other. And I remember we would play it even together sometimes and be really cracking up at those at all yeah. of the little scenes where it's just like the girls messing around and like joking around and even obviously like beyond just groups of girlfriends like i think any group of young people is going to have like somewhat a dynamic like that of right. just silliness um and i love that they represent that because often in games like when they write friend groups the silly moments are just few and far between because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of these like large sprawling games are so serious. Even even 10 kind of had this at times where it was like, you wouldn't hear someone laugh in a scene for like hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in 10 too, it's more like daily life where they're laughing all the time yeah. and like they're just kind of having a good time together. And, you know, it's chill, of course, until things get more serious later. But, you know, I, I appreciate that they depict that element of just like existing together mm. as a friend group mm-hmm. so often. Like, Every other scene, especially at this point in the game. Yeah. Mm. And it, it gets recentered so fast, too, because Payne is like, okay, well, what are we going to do about Vegna Gun? And Yuna <laughs> kind of internally thinks and is like, I am so done with the politics and the world ending BS. Nah, I'm good. Like, we're sphere hunters. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get back at LeBlanc and they do the whole fist pump together and they're like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we come up with a heist, and this is now a heist episode. Yes. Uh, where we're going to get three LeBlanc uniforms and sneak into where LeBlanc is based, which is uh, out of Seymour's old place uh, in Guadalajara. And uh, we're just going to steal back from them and get back at them. You know, it's, it's so good. Like, they pranked us, so we're going to prank them. Like, it's. <laughs> It's real good. Uh, and we can head to Guadalajara at this point where obviously we can't get in and we can talk to some people to get an idea of where these uniforms will be. But uh, we're, we're doing a bunch of side stuff anyway. So I imagine we'll stumble into them here as we go through the rest of our stuff. Uh, 
So let's head back to Mushroom Rock, where if we had sided with Bavel at this point, we'd be having a bit of a tussle <laughs> with, mm. with the people here. I, I actually looked up what happens if you go back to Mushroom Rock after you sided with New Yevon. And I think you, you have to fight one of the Chocobo Knights. Like, I think it's Elma or somebody. Mm. You have an actual battle Aww. against them. That's Good messed up. I don't want to fight them. They're cool. I like I Elma <laughs> and Lucille. Like, they're cool. They're staples. Yeah. yeah it, it even, like, that even, like, as I'm thinking, like, cause it, we have the same thing happen in Bavel. Like, if you go there, the soldiers fight you. And just siding with New Yemen just feels like a betrayal on so many levels because, like, now you're actually fighting people you give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Where that the inverse does not really happen if you go to Bavel having sided with the Youth League. Because, like, you, you don't know those people. You don't give a shit about any of them. We mm-hmm. hear, like, and we'll get into this more later, how I think, like, the scene that we get here going back kind of just really sells. There are people in Spira beyond the Celsius that Yuna does care about. And it's like, have mm-hmm. been a part of her life that know her better than a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. So as we head up to the command center of the youth league to go hang out and chill with them, obviously Yibel shows up and is like, Oh, y'all are going <laughs> to join the youth league finally. And just runs off to go gossip and tell everyone, mm. <laughs> uh, which is great. And we go following after him and some soldiers show up and kind of escort us. So we don't really run into any fiends here if we don't want to. Um, we do stop halfway through, uh, Buddy tells us there's some sphere waves coming from the ravine. So we head to the den of woe that we showed up to in the last chapter. And Nuge is hanging out. Nuge is looking at the gate and says, hmm, there's something going on here. I want to see what's behind this door. Uh, <laughs> look, I do this too. I always go out, find caves where there are doors, and I ponder them <laughs> for hours. I'm like, I want to know what's behind this door. Uh, so we take up the task as the gold wings and say that we'll find all these spheres that he needs uh, and figure out what's behind the door. And he gives the sphere to pain and says something about it being possibly fate and leaves. And then Riku is like, Oh, Oh, what's going on there? Pain. (laughs) You got some history pain. And there's a very, very good scene of Riku and Yuna prying at Payne's past and history, potential history with Nuge uh, and Payne obviously rebuffing them. Minus four respect <laughs> points, Riku. Um, <laughs> left. I love this. <laughs> I love many. this part so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, again, same as we were already talking about with this being a friend group and them hanging out. And Payne is the character we know the least about, right? So this fits mm-hmm. really well. We get to spend some time kind of prying into both, you know, does pain have a past that the other two and the player don't really right. know about? What do we know about her? But also it solidifies that they are still good friends. They get along. There's like good chemistry between the three of them. And it's, it's just fun. It's just so dang right. fun. It's, it's also like a nice low stakes scene in terms of like pain does not like snap them or anything it's like you could see like a more introverted mysterious character uh you know just being like like shutting it down and here mm-hmm. she like she entertains it but she's like nah like you're not gonna break it through this wall i put up here so mm-hmm. that was refreshing 
And I think that's kind of like an important part of their group, right? Because Yuna and Riku are so, I mean, they're literally family. They mm -hmm. like have a connection that has been established in a whole other video game. And Payne's this new character who, by the way, should have her own fucking Final Fantasy game because she's so cool. As an aside. It makes like a lot of sense that she wouldn't be as willing to open up to them because if you think about like maybe what their dynamic was off screen, like she she isn't like literally their family she is someone who was an addition to the group later so she mm. might not feel super comfortable around them and like i don't know i've seen that kind of dynamic in real life where someone new comes into a group and even if they're not already sort of a, a closed off person like pain might be it's still hard to share that stuff right. you know mm -hmm. especially when the other two are obviously so close like you might just feel kind of like scared of entering into that dynamic suddenly so mm -hmm. i think that they they did a really good job with pain and with like pacing the rate at which we get to know her because yeah. like part of her appeal i think is how mysterious she is and right. i really like how they unfold her as a character over the course of the game and they set the stakes for that really well in this scene i think yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and and so now we know here's another thing that we can do the den of woe two down several more to go who knows maybe we'll find another one very soon in this <laughs> chapter um so we head up to the base uh and elma greets us and is like i've been hearing some rumors about y'all joining the, the youth league and you're gonna run your own <laughs> unit and that brought cookies for everyone it's really weird <laughs> and, uh yeah lucille then shows up behind elma and is like yeah don't worry i already punished yibel i know you're not going to do that stuff and and lucille has a really great moment here of of being like i know that you're not just going to get persuaded or guilted or pressured into doing anything you know you're not the type to do that you do your own thing you make your own choices you're not going to be a part of any faction like i get that right. i understand that and i was like dang Lucille, it was like a good recognition of a character that not only gets who Yuna is, but, you know, Lucille is a character that you do spend a lot of time around in 10. Right. You know, she's kind of present for most of that, like, first half of the game in some way or another and has seen Yuna, like, undertake a lot of hardships and trials and all that. And mm. I was like, yeah, you get it. You're cool. Right. Can't it, believe I would have had to fight you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, how many degrees removed do you have to be from somebody who is viewed as like a celebrity like Yibel sees mm -hmm. Yuna and mm -hmm. knowing her well enough to know that that's not who she is and that's not what's ever going to swing her one side or the other it was a nice little moment nice moment uh let's head to the I save. love that I love that oh. I, one thing I also love about that before we move on is just sure that thing. they take characters from 10 that are like minor characters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. arguably and yes. like reintroduce them in a new context and like just add add more of even, okay, so I feel like partially they're doing it almost as fan service to be like, look at this Final Fantasy X character. Right. But I love that they can both do that and create a meaningful moment that has real relevance to the story in X2. Right. So it mm -hmm. sort of like moves beyond fan service into just like good writing for the game itself. And I, I really respect how they do that throughout mm -hmm. X2 right. with a multiple of those more minor characters. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it, there's like a level of restraint to it, I think, that... Yeah. It's appealing to me because, like, you know, you, they bring out a new game. It could have been all these new characters and, like, these new stories where, like, I think the structure of the game where you, like, revisit these places throughout each chapter just, like, allows all these characters that you can, like, kind of 
touch on and then leave and then they just have like their own arc throughout the game that doesn't have to be like a party member that's just sticking around constantly yeah. mm-hmm. totally so now we head to besaid which is a pretty quick stop because we're really just here to do one mini game uh the gunner's gauntlet so beklum from the youth league has traveled over to besaid and started training the aurochs because i mean yeah they're blitzball players and blitzball i guess kind of still exists do they ever mention blitzball existing in this game come to yeah think i mean you, you're yeah yeah you, okay. it, further in yeah okay further in i'm just <laughs> I'm I'm like, do i say thing. this <laughs> yeah. That, yeah that's not right. a spoiler yeah, yeah yeah i was i had that moment where i was like do they ever because they have all the teams and all that but i was like do they ever actually talk about blitzball still being a thing at some point uh, but you know, it's the off season, I guess. So the Aurochs need something to do. Cause the last time we were in Besaid, they were just kind of lounging about <laughs> doing nothing. So Beckham showed up to teach him how to shoot things. <laughs> and, uh, Ooh boy, Beckham. <laughs> what <yeah>. a character. <laughs> yeah. Um, Making me regret signing up with the youth league. Yeah. He, <laughs> he throws a whole tantrum. He's like, summoners are a thing of the past don't salute yuna she's not the high summoner they're wor- summoners are nothing now um and yeah we get another great line of who's calm do you think this is buster <laughs> um and we we end up taking his challenge of the gunner's gauntlet which i think is a conceptually cool mini game that definitely handles like they tried to put a Resident Evil game inside a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> uh, we kind of just have a lock-on button and a shoot button and then a change lock-on as well as different ammo types. And we run from that starting area down to the beach of Besaid, shooting a bunch of fiends as we go. And there's different ammo types. So you have basic ammo and fiends will take certain number of shots uh to die from it but then you also have other types like dual shot which will hit two targets at the same time or death which will just instant kill an enemy or volley which is like the most powerful i don't even think when i was playing this section i don't even think they give you volley ammo right away Mm. um but volley lets you take out a group all at once it's like dual shot plus uh death and the idea is to get a high score by chaining together enemy kills without getting hit and making it to the beach on time as well, which is my first mistake in this was I got too wrapped up in getting a high score that I did not get to the beach in time. Mm. Um, it's cool. Uh, I'm probably going to come back here at some point to try and finish this mini game with like a high score so I can get some of the good stuff that's really high up because there are some good accessories and things that you can get from this. Uh, it's also the moment where I was like, if knock on wood 10 and 10 to ever get some sort of update in the vein of final fantasy seven, uh, this is definitely a thing that would get, majorly majorly updated and Mm -hmm. could really really use it because this is the part where i was like yeah they're definitely it's cool how they're grafting different systems onto this and creating a new kind of game within a game but also there were multiple points where i was just unable to lock on to things or the reload wasn't really explicitly mentioned other than that sometimes yuna's got a reload you know (laughs) it's how when and how who knows (laughs) but uh yeah it's it's cool. 
it is cool that they came up with this. I don't know. Ken, are you a little bit more positive on this than I am? Oh yeah. Like I, this was something I dumped probably hours into back in the day at like trying to get higher scores and stuff. Um, yeah, I agree that it's like kind of simple in terms of like, like if it did get some kind of like remake treatment, it would probably be like more akin to like an actual third person shooter or something. Um, but yeah, I think it's fun. So mm. it's a nice little, nice little detour. And I, like, I, just, I broadly appreciate the variety of the side shit you do in this game. So this is yeah. like, one, one of those standout things for me. Yeah. Nina, are you a Gunner's Gauntlet fan? I have, like, done... I've done all of it. I've gotten the items and definitely enjoyed it. Um, I feel similarly where one of my favorite aspects of this game is just, like, the weird variety of, mm. like, mini, mini games. I hate the term mini games, but I guess that's what they are. Uh, because it like, uh, you know, they had the bandwidth to do that, right. Because they're re- reusing so many assets. Right. So I think as a game designer, it's really fascinating. Like what can a game designer, what can a team do when they don't have to like do all the level design and like right. rethink all of the core worlds and all that. They have a lot more freedom to just experiment and I think that, like, the experimental stuff in this game that they do, I mean, even though, like, it's not, like we said, this is sort of, like, maybe a Resident Evil type thing or whatever, but it's still not something you typically see in a Final Fantasy game, right. so it's sort of experimental in that capacity. Um, and I think I really enjoyed seeing that aspect of Ten Two because I think overall it's just very experimental Mm-hmm. on so many layers of its game design mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is just like another example of that sometimes it doesn't work but sometimes it does and that's what makes the game i think so magical is that it's like it's got it all it's got mistakes and wins <laughs> right. i mean the mistakes you know you'll hear people talk about whether they like live music or recorded music more and and the argument for live music is always that there are potential mistakes there are you know yeah. there's a roughness to it that really reminds you that hey like humans are doing this thing and and Uh mistakes can be endearing in that way so i can definitely see that appeal that like somebody swinging for the fences on something is more interesting even if it doesn't work so yeah I i like that look at it I think, like, one of the ones that I remember is being, like, even though I enjoy it because it's funny, but I feel like it's sort of a bad design is the chocobo part that I think we're going to talk about <laughs> oh, in this episode. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <sighs> I don't know if it's a good segue, but that's, mm. like, the one where when I play it, I get really frustrated, but I still think it's funny, so well, it's fine. <laughs> let's jump to that one next. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so we we go to me and High Road, and uh, there's a girl here who we find out is Callie, the little girl we met uh, when we were passing through me and in Final Fantasy X, you know, who asked us, are you going to bring us the calm and all that? Now she's grown up a little bit more, and she wants to ride a chocobo. But, so sweet. I love uh, Callie. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was one of the more effective, like, do you remember me things? Because, like, mm-hmm. she, lo- she clearly does not look the same as she did in the last game. Because a lot of the time that it's just kind of like a second for them to be like, hey, player, do you remember this character or do you need a refresh? But like, no, genuinely, like, are we going to recognize this person? And I, I like Yuna's kind of reaction when you do say that you didn't know who she is, where she's like, you know, kind of in shock, like, oh, gosh, you've grown up so much just in two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's such a, it is a minor character, like a mm-hmm. character you speak to once in Final Fantasy X. And it's like, hey, cool, here, here's this character again. They're going to have a much more prominent at least like by comparison more prominent role that's cool um callie wants to ride a chocobo but 
once again, the Mian High Road is plagued by a chocobo hunting fiend. They got a real problem here mm. with this. <laughs> this is happening frequently. <laughs> Twice as too many times. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that they should maybe reconsider their business plan, but they should maybe reconsider their business plan because they're kind of just leading a bunch of giant chickens into the giant fox den here. <laughs> um, so as we're hanging out and talking, uh, Cho, 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 a chocobo shows up as they're talking <laughs> uh, in a really fun and goofy scene that we're like, okay, well, I guess we're chasing a chocobo across the Mian High Road. Uh, and we go through a series of small uh chase sequences where we have to try and keep up with Riku and uh, follow after the bird while also try and pick up some stuff on the side as well. There are feathers dropping. There's little treasure chests off to the side. It is a pretty forgiving mini game because you do kind of just get to retry over and over again. Mm -hmm. There's not really like a fail state that the game sticks you with here, but um so it does give you a little bit of leeway to go just pick things up if you want to and then do a restart and, and keep the things that you got. But um, eventually, you know, we chase after the Chocobo down the the high road and then we get into this situation where Riku and Pain block off far ends of the road and we have to kind of block the Chocobo by guessing at first, just kind of guessing where it goes and then it gets a little bit dazed and it's a lot easier to tell where it's going to go. Uh, and then we chase it and we chase it some more and finally recruit a friend, uh, the, the Albed woman who's running the, the hovercraft place to help us head the chocobo off at the pass. And finally we get ourselves a chocobo and it is a silly, ridiculous mini game. I probably spent way too long playing, uh, because <laughs> I did fail several times. It's hard. Cause it's kind of like random at a certain yeah. point in a way yeah. that doesn't feel completely fair. <laughs> But it is It is trying. a frustrating one. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's. Look, I've tried to corral live animals before. This is yeah, what yeah. it's like. <laughs> this is... Yeah, sometimes when games evoke, like, not good feelings, that can also be a very valid and interesting design space. Mm-hmm. So we can give it that credit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the funny thing to me about it was in the first segment where Riku's, like, guiding the group. And then she's like, oh, it's over there. And she's wrong every time. Mm-hmm. Like the the realization <laughs> that she was wrong every time, like it, when it came over me, that was like, just it that was funny to me, just because like, you you have the opportunity to like take her advice or not, or like just keep running forward, and turns out the joke was just run to the other side of the road, but Riku's like, oh, gone to the left, gone to the right, and you just kept mm-hmm. you, you have to keep turning around, like no, I'm, I'm sorry, I know you're trying, honey, like I know, <laughs> Riku, bless your heart, <laughs> poor Riku, <laughs> she does do her best. <laughs> All you had to do was follow the bird, Riku. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we finally catch ourselves a chocobo. Uh, we get it all done, and we bring the chocobo back. Oh, wait, Ken, did you not? Oh, no, okay. I, so I got ahead of myself. I was like, Ken, did you not get this last part? Um, uh, we We come back and find that Callie is now in danger because Callie chased after another chocobo and is now caught up in a sort of uh, standoff. I guess she's on the run from a chocobo eater from Final Fantasy X. Again, reusing stuff from Final Fantasy X like the bosses. 
apparently the chocobo eater was not just one fiend but many that chocobo eater had a family uh so we're about to jump off and go stop the chocobo eater uh pain's like hey you can't just jump down there you're gonna hurt yourself and then Clasco, <laughs> if we had Clasco with us, Clasco oh, shows man. up. Yeah, so I think this is the part I you did not I fucking love Clasco. He's so yeah. good. Clasco is like, I'm here to save the day. And a bunch of <laughs> armored chocobos show up to hold, <laughs> to hold off the chocobo eater as you then have to run all the way around, like basically up to where the Operation Meehan staging area was. Uh, in the previous game and then back down and around to the lower path uh, and get all the way back around to where Callie is to fight the Chocobo Eater. And there's a, a really cool moment where, you know, class goes like, okay, we did it, you know, like finish him off, Yuna. And Yuna's like, let's do this. And you get into a fight and yeah, it's the Chocobo Eater. Uh, it's, it's less of an interesting fight, I think, because you don't have that cool positioning thing from Final Fantasy X yeah. where you're, pushing back and forth and all that. But um, it was cool that they brought this character back. And also this character's got some different moves this time. Uh, some really interesting uh, fights happening where I am now appreciating reflect as a spell very, very much. And we have it so early in this game yeah. and it's so much better too, because you can just put it on the whole party instead right. of just yourself, uh, which rules. Uh, we beat up the Chocobo eater and save Callie. And that's that, you know, that's good. And then once we get back on board the Celsius, we can head back down to the Mian high road and get Callie and Clasco and a Chocobo to come back onto the ship and hang out with us for the trip. So that's cool too. We've got more people on the Celsius. Dang. They did a lot with just one side area. Uh, mm. So what do you say we head to Luca now? Over in Luca, we meet up with Shalinda, who's a TV reporter. Oh my God, Shalinda. <laughs> Shalinda's the local TV news reporter. <laughs> she is fascinating. What, like, she has such a weird arc between the two games, but also, like, maybe an unsurprising one. <laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah. like, and right here at the beginning, it's just like, what does a person that was completely dedicated to the church do with their life when the church is gone? You just kind of wander about and try and find something new like go Local through news. all these yeah <laughs> <laughs> well also i feel like there's a lot about like church stuff that's about talking to people right. in sort of a yeah. performance way mm -hmm. so i always thought like it made a lot of sense given her history like that she would be into you know being a a person to speak to the community or whatever because a news anchor does that and that's like yeah it's it just feels like something that someone who was super involved in a church community would be into right like oh she God. was and she was always like you know intense she was always on the road and actually truly like being out there talking to many different communities or whatever as she mm. was like traveling around so it was not something that i like expected but then when i thought about it i was like oh okay yeah this makes sense <laughs> Yeah. I'm suddenly realizing this is the most well-equipped I've been to talk about anything in this game because as someone who has worked both a church job and a TV news station job, <laughs> I, I deeply understand the connection between the two. <laughs> oh, God. My 10 character is Shalinda. <laughs> I was so glad to be here for this revelation. 
you always think you're you're Yuna or Riku or Pain, but you never think you're Shalinda. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, she's funny. I'm not. I don't. I actually didn't really go to church very much, but like having, I'm not like a super religious person, but I did always really like Shalinda. And I thought it was really nice too that there was like a super religious lady that was like, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Especially in the church that is otherwise extremely fucked up. Like, it's just another example of 10 and 10 2 trying to like have good people be in all sorts of surprising spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's like an interesting thing that they do. And She's I'm a, happy that Shalinda got out of the old Yevon stuff and is like doing her own thing because yeah. she deserves that. Oh, absolutely. And and she's definitely like she's a people pleaser. You know, yeah. she she likes to work with people and make people happy, but she also likes to kind of not be the center of attention, but to be at the heart of things. Uh, yeah, I've I've known people in my life who are who are Shalinda for sure. Um, I hope I'm not Shalinda. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyways, we, we show up and we get a cool little scene where during the cutscene we can swap cameras around, which I just did constantly this whole time as, as often as I could. And you can actually get it to a point where Shalinda's just not even looking at the right camera anymore. She stops turning and it's just like, well, whatever. I'm just going to talk to the camera. <laughs> I hope it's on the right one. Uh, and then we can interrupt. So she's kind of doing this whole news bit about the the tensions between the different factions, you know, the Youth League and New Yevon, uh, the Machine Faction, the LeBlanc Syndicate, and then we show up as the Gullwings, and we have a surprise on-the-spot interview where Shalinda talks about our concert and all the different things that happened, and then Shalinda mentions, I, I heard there's a rumor that you're looking for a certain young man. And not only is that funny because once again, they cannot ever say Titus's name in this game because you can change Titus's name in Final Fantasy X and they don't (laughs) want to step on the toes of that. So every time they refer to Titus, it has to be in the abstract, but also framing it as I heard you're looking for a certain young man is very salacious. It's very, uh, you know, the viewers at home are going, Ooh, and, Mm. We get an option here where we can either say, yes, you know, that's what I'm doing, or uh, a couple other options was, which kind of, like, diffuse the situation. I chose the it's a secret one because that is both salacious and fun, but also, like, Yuna wants to keep that right. for herself, I think. Doesn't want to yep. turn that into part of the public persona that she has. Right. Like, uh, and I put in my notes here, if it's, like, a window into a, an alternate timeline where Titus did not disappear and was probably like dragged into you know the celebrity status and like that was like part of like you know the the fucking gossip rag or some shit yeah can you imagine the like coverage of titus and yuna like the machine gun kelly and Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) he would be so into it though (laughs) yeah like like, you know cocky jock from xanderkin yeah he'd be into that shit titus is the other thing i I find ball disappears The other thing I find funny about this part and that I like is that it also signals a return of like normal things to Spira. So like they have news again. Like right. what? Mm-hmm. That was never a thing in 10 as far as I remember. Uh, so it's cool to see like, you know, they're showing another like kind of daily ordinary person life activity happening. Right. 
Like, yeah, TV happens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because it did in Xanarkand, right? They show that with Titus. That's one of the big things in the beginning of 10 is mm-hmm. his, like, yeah. celebrity stuff. So it's cool to see it in Spira as, like, a sign of the times changing. Right. It's, I think there was TV stuff, but it was mostly in the Luca section where, like, yeah. the Blitzball tournament is happening. And it right. doesn't just feel, like, very close circuit. Like, it's only happening within the city. And obviously, like, the implication with the way Shalinda is talking is that this could be broadcasting to a larger audience and right. you know, the the infrastructure exists for this to expand out to other places. So like Kilika, for example, people could be watching it. But uh, it was also not really news. It was basically just propaganda by the church because the one time we do see a camera in, in 10 is them like filming the maesters showing up and being like oh this is so good for the good of spira and so like even just the fact that we have uh a theoretically independent news organization in spira (laughs) yeah the news is here and then shalinda ruins it by being completely unethical (laughs) and giving a gift to her interview subject (laughs) (laughs) come on shalinda (laughs) she's learning she's new to this she doesn't know that part yet God, my my news professor would be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that ends. Shalinda kind of comes over and catches up with us. Uh, she tells us about, you know, she's been trying to help, you know, clean up, but she was also getting tired of getting bossed around and all that. So she came to Luca, and and there's an opening here. So she figures she'd just take it. And Payne kind of points out that isn't you're you're just doing another job that you've just been asked to do. And Shalinda is like, yeah, yeah, and leaves. <laughs> it's like, does not even like fight it. She's like, yeah, sure, and leaves. And I was like, that was the moment where I was like, I have definitely known people like Shalinda in my life where you could say terrible things to them and they'd be like, sure, and walk away with a smile on their face. <laughs> and you're just like, what kind of person are you? <laughs> Well, she knows she picked she picked this job for herself, which is like I think the important thing for right. Shalinda because it's like not a church job again, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She might not have the words to express it, but that's always how I read that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would have been disappointed if she'd ended up with like New Gavin and oh, that had absolutely. been like where her yeah. place intent to. Yeah. Yeah. They find interesting ways for all these characters to go that that don't just feel like them being the same character again, but do feel right for who that character is. And they even kind of joke with Yuna a little bit that, oh, that was kind of like something you would say, Yuna, and you know, they mess with her a little bit. Uh, and have the bit where they jump into the broadcast booth and pretend to be interviewing <laughs> and stuff. It's, <laughs> oh, God, this group is just fantastic. I love <laughs> all these side plots. But we're done with the side stuff. We got to get ourselves three syndicate uniforms. And the first two, I'll say, are are pretty easy for us to get. Uh, if we had gone and talked to people in Guadalajara, they, you know, the scuttlebutt lets us know that they went to Jose, they went to a religious mountain site, and they went to somewhere full of sand. And so obviously we can interpret that as Jose, the Beaconel Desert, and Mount Gagazette. So we head off to Jose and follow some LeBlanc goons down to the intersection between the Moonflow and Mushroom Rock Road and the temple. And this is pretty straightforward you know we run forward we see some uh female leblanc 
goons hanging out. We're like, cool, we can beat them up and take a uniform. And then we go and beat them up and take the uniform uh, while also beating up Ormi and Logos, who we're probably not going to fight again after this point. Surely they would not make us fight these two <laughs> so many times in a single video game. <laughs> <sighs> I just I just played this section last night, so I'm like coming off a point where I can hear Ormi and Logos in my sleep. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We do get the, uh, floral fall, floral mm. fall. Um, Fowl? I cannot pronounce foul, foul. I don't know. Floral. Unispecial <laughs> we get Eunice dress. Phallic. <laughs> there we go. Floral phallic. <laughs> Finally, we've been waiting for it. Uh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I've not really messed with the special dress spheres much because I'm way more focused on leveling up all my dress spheres at this point. Um, I've actually got White Mage pretty leveled up. I think Pain is almost done with the Warrior dress sphere. Like, mm. I got Excalibur the other night, and I was like, oh, okay. Nice. I'm, I'm like, running out of things for her to learn. I should probably let her be other classes at some point. <laughs> the special uh, ones are totally worth playing around with. They're pretty cool. Yeah, I just got Alchemist. And I kind of want to mess with that because it seems like mm. a cool dress sphere with some interesting ideas behind it. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll mess with that. Let her be something else. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, we have songstress, obviously uh, gunner. Like we, we, you know, we just take down Ormi and logos. We've done this before. We'll do it again. You put darkness on them. You put protect on yourself and you beat them up and they leave. <laughs> Uh, and we get a LeBlanc uniform, one down, easy peasy. Let's head to Beaconel and get another where Nadal lets wait. us know. Is, oh. is Mount Gagazette the part with the hot spring scene oh, or is that in a Mount, different chapter? Mount Gagazette is. We we will get there. Don't worry. That's oh, the wait, fun one. Which, oh, that was a different town you were talking about. Sorry, I got mixed up. Yeah, Continue. yeah. We were talking about Jose. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I want to talk about it. Okay, no, we will We will talk about the hot springs. Don't worry. <laughs> um Beaconel also pretty pretty straightforward. We we hear from Nadala that something's up near the oasis. Uh, we get there and we find Riku's special dress sphere, Makina Ma, which is actually the one I remember using from the base game when I first played it, uh, the PS2 version back years ago, and I like that one a bit. Um, and then LeBlanc's goons show up, and we fight them and beat them up and get another uniform. <laughs> and that's the story. And I will say that if you play them in this order, I think the one, two, three, you know, the comedy of two things that are normal and then one thing that is abnormal. So we get two very straightforward basic missions and then we get Mount Gagazette, which is where things kind of get turned on their head a little bit and go in a direction you maybe did not anticipate is fun because when we get to Mount Gagazette, uh, first we talk with Kamari and do another check around with the Ronzo where once again, we can stoke the fires of anti sentiment among the oh, Ronzo yeah. for some reason. I uh, love Kamari, but that aspect of it is that's like a whole, that could be a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Of it, like a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked. It's weird. And I, I don't get it. And even like having played ahead and like knowing where the storyline goes, I don't understand why those are the quote unquote right things to pick for completion 
Well, even in this one, it starts to kind of turn it, right? Because now we're obviously using a guide that will tell us, like, hey, these are what you need to say to each of the Ronso to kind of get the response you want later on in the game. And while the first set of them were very much like stoking the fires of war, now with some of them, we're kind of being like, hey, but wouldn't that mean, like, if you started a war with them, you'd be in a war, right? And war's kind of bad sometimes. And the Ronso are like, yeah, but war. And you're like, okay, well, you know what? We'll just come talk to you later again in another chapter. It's weird. Like, they're kind of setting up the turn, but also being like, let's do it slowly. Let's, we've got chapters to work with here. Yeah, it's and, a little weird. I think they could have waited on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, and, like, addressed it more directly. But anyway, right. yeah, <laughs> I do or, like the act of going around and talking to all the Ronso and, like, not having it just be about talking to Kamari. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, that basic structure is neat. Yeah. Get a broader sense of how they all feel instead of just how Kamari feels about the same things. Yeah, especially given Kamari's history, like, as someone who was sort of an outsider in mm-hmm. his culture and then came back as a leader. Like, it's good to see that they're still thinking about that and how it's not like they're not all always on the same page and like that's how it's kind of always been and it's not going to change overnight even if he has returned as a leader Mm -hmm. you know yeah and and it is it does encourage something that i think is cool about this game which is that there's a lot of stuff that happens when you just stop and talk to npcs and Mm -hmm. and you can learn more about the world and and not just have interesting choices that can affect things in the game but I think it does really reward people who take the time to check in with different places and kind of reinforces mm-hmm. this idea yeah. of a non-linear, open-world-ish Final Fantasy X-2. Uh, so we head off to the Faith Scar because we've heard there have been some sphere hunters going up that way, causing some problems for Kamari. It's sacred ground up there, so he can't really do much, but he'll let Yuna go take care of it because he trusts Yuna. It's cool. It's all good. So we teleport up there once we remember that there's a teleporter and have not wandered around Mount Gagazette for 20 minutes trying to remember how to get to the Faith Scar. Eric, (laughs) I had a long night last night, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's a big level. Yeah, yeah. I did a full full loop and was like, okay, I'm going back and starting from the beginning. And I went back. I was like, oh, the the teleporter's right there. Oh, my God. I hate my life. Uh, So we teleport to the Faith Scar. Uh, which, as we remember, was where the massive faith was that was dreaming of many things, but mostly Xanarkand. Uh, now, you know, the, the life, the, the light is gone, but there's still, like, this horrifying bodies-in-the-wall aspect of this place that is just creepy and weird and not fun. I don't know. There's some horror aspects of, of Final Fantasy X that still get at me a little bit just creep Mm. me out a little bit uh but we go climbing around and and clambering up this place that is really like very clearly new for final fantasy X 2 there's a lot of quote-unquote platforming here and Mm. moving around vertical space and all that obviously this was not a place that we explored in 10 this was made for 10 2 but it's a cool little area we we run around we head in some caves we explore a bit we see a LeBlanc goon running off to the other side of the mountain. And we could at this point just follow them and confront them, but that would not be the fun thing to do. That would be the straightforward approach. We instead go up to the top of the mountain and spy on them from above where we then see them hanging out in the hot spring 
and then fall into the hot spring. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that bit of... <laughs> yeah, just, you know, I, as one does. I didn't know that there were two ways to get into this stuff. Oh, I thought it was... I thought this was the only way you could get the hot spring thing. You, was fell, in, go for, you yeah. fell into it? And, like, while they were in there? Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely not what happened to me. <laughs> oh, I, see, I... The way I've played this game, I always thought that you were supposed to to get the hot spring thing. You had to, like, sneak up on them and scare them out of there. I did not think that you could get it by just walking up and confronting them normally. That's really cool. Well, I cool. mean, like, okay, to, just to clarify one more time, you literally fell into the hot spring. Yeah, yeah. So, Nina, I don't know if you've done it this way, but you basically, instead of following the LeBlanc... Uh, the blonde person around to like the front entrance of the springs you climb up and there's like kind of an overlook where yuna riku and pain are observing the guards who are in there and the guards are mm-hmm. all talking about there's like some superstition about the place and all that and as they're observing the the perch they're on kind of cracks and tumbles and falls into the hot springs and the goons plus uh ormi who also shows up at some point uh, all freak out because they think it's like the mountain mad at them or whatever and they run away. <laughs> yeah. And then YRP are like, well, we've got the hot springs, so let's hang. We're already in it, so we can- <laughs> why not? Um, have you done it that way? I think I've probably done it both ways. It's been a while, but each sounds fairly familiar. I've also like read guides for this game a lot, so like yeah. I'm just mm-hmm. sort of familiar with the alternatives, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a, I mean, what I, until two seconds ago, thought was the only way that this, this ever played out was, uh, we snuck up near the area and started, like, talking about it, and, like, Riku was like, oh, they're already out of their uniforms, let's fucking go, and the, then Yuna rightfully was like, that seems like a lot, not that, like, I mean, you know, the result is the same, but, like, the means of getting it is different, and that's okay, um, but as we're discussing it, Ormi, like, shows up, and Riku, like, makes a joke, like, hey, Ormi's trying to sneak a peek, and then the the guards hear that, and they're like, do you hear somebody say this? Ormi's trying to peek? And then they get out, and then they fight, and then we take the <laughs> So did you not then get the scene of the three of them hanging out in the hot springs? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. That's, like... <laughs> that is... So if you do it with the, the perch thing they like land in the hot springs and they all vacate. So then Unariku and Payne are like, well, if we're here in the hot springs already, let's hang out. And so it goes to a scene of them like in swimsuits kind of hanging out in the hot springs. And it's very, very anime where like Riku is trying to like sneak a peek at Yuna and Payne and they're all kind of messing around. And then Payne gets really angry and is like, I'm gonna beat you up for this. And and you know, like grabs <laughs> Riku from behind and like hold, holds her. Is like, I got her. And Riku's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, it's it's very you know like this was written for an anime at some point, Hot Springs episode sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the way they go with it, instead of being very like voyeuristic with it and all that, it's like them goofing around and having fun is is real, <laughs> really good. And for some reason, and I was really hoping you'd seen this, uh, there are like two Hypello that are just hanging out in the oh hot springs God. too, watching so the funny. whole thing. And <laughs> they never address it. There's just like two Hypello hanging out on the side, just like watching these three young ladies 
like hang out in the hot spring and wrestle with each other and stuff and they're just like yeah cool whatever and everybody's like chill with it well hypello aren't well i guess this is something later i won't say it but it's oh, funny I... that specifically it's Hypello there because there's some stuff about Hypello romance later in the game. In yeah, <laughs> it's 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 just weird. It's it, the whole thing. I was sitting there. And I was like, this is a scene in a video game. <laughs> this is, <laughs> it's this... so good. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I really it... like this scene. I don't know. I don't want to like interrupt you. No, Did you have no, other no. Stuff go ahead. Say, no, or... That's it. I just, I think it, it is funny that you can miss it. And I definitely remember, like, I've reloaded to get it. Um, mm. I think I, maybe when I last streamed it, I, like, didn't get it by mistake and then reloaded. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was optional. Um, so it is sort of sort of a surprise. Um, but I, I get that it's optional because it feels like the kind of thing where the designers were like, oh, well, you know, people are going to want to see the hot spring scene, but, like, let's make them work for it. Mm. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and, you know, have it be more of a moment that's, like, something maybe the community shares online and then, like, people will replay the game to see it. It, it feels mm, like that yeah. kind of a moment right. where it's, like, a secret cool thing that you might hear about from your friends. Um, so I think that's like a fun aspect of it. I like secret scenes. Um, mm. And then also, I totally agree with what you said. I think it's amazing how it's a hot spring scene that's not literally just like titty and ass fan service. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in swimsuits and they're teasing each other about like boob size and stuff. But it's, these are like conversations I've had with my friends. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt like something... I remember having exactly that kind of like teasing relationship when like going out swimming with my friends or whatever and just like messing with each other. I remember being a kid and pulling my friend, like pantsing my friends at the beach. Like <laughs> young people do that. It doesn't have to be like a huge like sexual fan service thing. Mm-hmm. It is also just like a normal human thing to do to like mess with each other, look at each other's bodies, have fun with it. Um, And I think that this is a scene that really embraces that aspect of like, you know, being a person and just having fun with your friends. Mm. And I really like it. It's like really wholesome (laughs) in a funny Mm. way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It would have been, I mean, they even kind of poke fun at it a little bit with the fact that Ormi might have been coming in to, to peek at soldiers in the hot spring and all that, which is the way that any other anime does always do it, you know, they always have, oh, you know, it's the Hot Springs episode and the boys and the girls are in different ones, but the boys are going to try and peek and all that. And, oh, Mineta from My Hero Academia getting up to hijinks again. And um, the fact that it is just the three of them hanging out and having that conversation and they completely get rid of any, you know, level of, oh, sneaking a peek or something like that. And it's just them hanging. Again, this game is so not wanting to be a game that is about oh we have this dude protagonist that's gonna sneak into the hot springs and peek on the girls Mm. but instead it's just about the girls and it's following their story and yeah it's it's a nice different framing to a lot of things that still happen in other games and other anime and 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 i keep referencing anime (laughs) and just in media like it's certainly something that is like a scene in like a any tv show or something that's like doing comedic stuff like there's often something about like some guy crossing a fucking boundary and Mm -hmm. i like that they kind of acknowledge that that could happen but it's not the focus of the scene i think that that's really important yeah instead it's framed as like no you're just still following the story of yrp and them hanging out and that's how we're going to frame this and yeah it's a good 
good scene. Like yeah. it a lot. And that's what gets us our third LeBlanc uniform. We're all ready to go. Also, there's like a funny bit with uh, as they're getting out of the hot springs, brother radios in is like, hey, what's going on? And Riku's like, oh, no worries. We're just taking a dip. And he's like, taking a dip? I'm coming in. <laughs> he's like, I'm bringing the ship <laughs> around. On, brother, give it up. <laughs> God, brother. Oh. That is also this... a depiction of a real person. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this man. Uh, is this... <laughs> I'm trying to remember. There is a point somewhere in this section where uh, Buddy knocks Brother out, and I think that might have been the one where he just like straight up takes him down. Is <laughs> like we cannot have this creating problems. Don't worry. Like he's yeah. down cold. <laughs> it's all. I good. like Buddy. Buddy is underrated. He's a good yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, so, the straight man. To everyone else is fucking zaniness. <laughs> yep. He's. He's just trying to navigate the ship, please. Yeah. He's like, I just work here. Yeah, just <laughs> Very to, much. Trying to punch a check. Come on, guys. No. Uh, so we're all set for our heist, and that will have to wait for next episode. But what a time we had getting set up for it. Oh, my God. So much Final Fantasy tend to zaniness and good times. As always, we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast that's covered many, many games in the past. Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, The Last of Us, Final Fantasy X, and soon, in the next coming season, Cyberpunk 2077, which will surely not be a thing that ages Ken and I significantly (laughs) over the course of a year. So... Uh, if you want to follow us and keep up with us, you can always find us on social media and online, patreon.com slash normdfm, where you can support us and back us. Any amount gets you into the backer discord where we hang out and share memes. And someone even tries to correct me on my docent stuff. I figured it out. Okay. I figured it out mid episode. What the word docent was. I got there. Uh, if you want to back at a higher level, you can also get these episodes as soon as Kenneth is done editing them. And at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast. And this week, that list is just Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, and Shane Erickson. Thank you all so much for contributing. And to Ken for not bringing up the fact that I just said week again multiple times. I, I mean, it's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll get there. Don't worry. Uh, also go and leave us a review because once again, that is something that Ken and I have discovered is helpful for our algorithm. We are not trying to boost this in terms of making cash, but it turns out that discoverability is nice and more people can hear excellent episodes like the one we just recorded today. If you go and leave us a stellar five-star review, if you don't leave a five-star, Ken will find you. (laughs) (laughs) uh nina thank you so much for coming on today it was wonderful having you on for the episode yeah thank you i love to talk about this game i could talk about it all day there's like so much to discuss it's great yeah um i mean and i i couldn't find a spot to like bring it back in naturally but you said you wanted to talk about like the outfits and like the uh kind of like how it deals with sexiness and because like that was something that you specifically brought up that you want to talk about that we actually never kind of got around to yeah in a more concrete way Oh, it's okay. I mean, like, there's that. I love to talk about LeBlanc. The fact that, like, LeBlanc's headquarters is in fucking Seymour's place. Like, Mm. I could go on. But Mm. if you're interested in hearing sort of, like, a brief summary of how I feel about the sexiness stuff, it it definitely relates to the the hot spring scene in a way. Um, A thing I really like about Ten Two is that 
these are, or, okay, how do I frame this? So when Tendu is talked about, I feel like, especially in the past, people have been like, oh, isn't that just like a sexist game? Because it's just girls or mm. it's just these sexy girls mm. and like, whatever, they look slutty. So the game must be bad or whatever. Mm. <laughs> I've heard that way too many times and it always really pisses me off because I don't think that it's fair to say that a sexy character immediately means that they're like demeaned. I think that this game is really good at having sexy people be humanized and like just being themselves and they're nuanced characters. They're not just there to be looked at. And I think the hot spring scene is a really good example of that because it could just be, oh, look at these hot girls in their swimsuits and we're going to have some guy creeping on them and it's going to be like this sexual situation where they it feels like they're being taken advantage of but like no they're just cute girls hanging out and like they're trying to like poke each other's boobs it's like funny (laughs) (laughs) and i think that i don't see that enough in games where you know a person can be sexy and just have that be a part of who they are and not have it diminish the other aspects of their character or personality um, I think a really strong and nuanced character can also be sexy. And I think tend to really, you know, shows that. And I, right. I love that about it. Because I, I don't know, I'm like someone who likes to wear <laughs> outfits that are probably considered slutty. But right. I still think mm-hmm. I'm a smart and like uh, nuanced person. I'm not just like, I don't just exist to be looked at. And I like that I can kind of relate to the girls and tend to in that way. Like they don't just exist to be looked at. They're like full round characters and they have like a lot going on beyond that, but they're also hot and like, I want to wear their outfits. So (laughs) hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also think that like, there's a sense of like sexual liberation to a lot of this game too. Cause like, I mean, literally Mm. like the first scene where you see, or I mean, it is it's LeBlanc, but it's, like, she's in uniform. Like, she takes off the summer's garb to be in the song one. And, like, that just, like, in the way that, like, we've talked about, how like, how music changes in this world, technology changes. I just feel like fashion will, too. And, like, the way that people express themselves and what they wear, just, that seems like such a natural evolution from, like, a world-building perspective to me, too. Yeah. And so, like, totally. when Tintu has, like, all of these different outfits and, like, they are dressing in ways that might have seemed out of place in the original game, that just, it's feels like a natural escalation of things to me yeah totally because like fashion yeah naturally evolves as the world changes and as people's priorities change and i think that's great i mean another criticism of this game that i've heard is that like oh they took yuna and just like made her slutty now whereas in Mm. 10 she wasn't and it's like that what's the word like virgin versus or whatever yeah (laughs) like why they they're trying to like project that onto her but like that's not what she's about at all and i don't think that the games say that about her at all like she went from be i mean god i would have to summarize the whole two fucking games to like (laughs) explain Mm. but you know her outfit in 10 was sort of by necessity of her job and then right. in 10-2, she wears whatever clothes she fucking wants because she doesn't have that job anymore. She's free and she's, you know, on a new mission. She's growing. She's right. also an older woman now. Like she's not, mm-hmm. how old was she in 10? She was really she was young. 17 and one. Yeah. And, so yeah. and now in 10-2, yeah. in she's older. So of course your fashion changes as you get older and she wants to experiment. And I think that says a lot about her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I won't say like maybe the devs did want her to just be a sexy girl, but like, 
wow, they didn't nail that. They made yeah, her they, cool. They, they failed. That was their, <laughs> yeah. yeah. their intention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I just, that's my forever rant about mm. the criticisms of this game. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's also weird because you hear those types of things said about a game, and then you'll also hear people look at it. And I know, like, I myself, when I was a young boy, was probably subject to some of this, but it was like, oh, that's that's just a game about girls playing dress up. That's like a, a girls game and stuff like that. And it's it's a game about girls, it, yes, but it's also like got so much going on for it. And it's so much more than mm-hmm. just being a dress up game in either, you know, the derogatory way that a young boy might talk about that or in like the way that y'all were just talking about where it's like, oh, it's a dress up game and stuff like that. It's, no, it's this is a game where like these three girls are going on an adventure to figure things out about themselves to contend with the politics of the world. And then also just like hang out and have a fun time hunting spheres. And there's Mm -hmm. so much about this game that feels like it's a a mixture of, of fun and adventure and hanging around pal time that works so well, you know, brought together. It's, there is world ending calamity at some point, but for most of this early game, it is just a very chill adventure where they're going on mm-hmm. this heist to steal something from LeBlanc. And I can't wait for the next episode where we talk about infiltrating LeBlanc's mansion because, oh my God, <laughs> the, <laughs> oh, the massage so, scene alone. <laughs> oh, it's so, what, what a fucking, what a memorable scene. <laughs> like, I mean, also LeBlanc, like, I could you could even talk about LeBlanc's like sexuality and her relationship to clothes and her relationship mm-hmm. to the main characters. That'll Absolutely. probably be for something for later. But she, in my opinion, is like one of the most interesting Final Fantasy villains ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward for you two to to get more into LeBlanc. She's amazing. Yeah. There's there's not enough podcast time in the world, sadly. Uh, <laughs> but we have truly enjoyed the time we've had here today. Nina, please feel free to plug anything you want here, uh, any stuff you want to boost. Sure. Um, so it's funny that we're talking about dress-up. I actually worked on multiple games with dress-up mechanics. Uh, <laughs> one of them is We Met in May that my uh, spouse and I made that's like, a collection of vignettes about dates we've been on mm-hmm. and in one of them you play as me in the dressing room like trying on clothes and showing them to him and like he it's sort of it's sort of inspired by 10 actually so i'm just gonna Love plug that, that. excellent <laughs> um where it's all about yeah like going shopping and picking clothes and you know sharing them with your loved one mm. uh so yeah i've worked on a lot of games my site is nina says dot so nina says so um, and all my games are there, a mix of free and paid games. Um, and I also stream every week, uh, four days a week on Twitch. My handle there is Nina Marie. Um, and yeah, that's the a stream where I play lots of games. I've actually streamed all of 10 and part of 10 too. And I like to talk about the games I play and, you know, share those experiences with people. I really enjoy it. So if folks are interested, feel free to come say hi. Um, I'm on there all the time. And I'm on Twitter at Persicom Nina, um, being a Chobits reference. Yes, to anyone who knows that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that those that's where I'm at. Feel free to say hi. Um, I love Ten too. So it's been such a pleasure. 
Heck yeah. It's been great having you on. And next episode, we will be going into the LeBlanc mansion and potentially some more. There might be some more stuff we'll need to wrap up before the end of chapter two, but we'll get there. But for Nina, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next episode on Normandy FM. Thank <laughs> you.